Okay, so take two. Um, if you haven't met me, uh, my name is Kate. I am married to the wonderful Dave. And the second most important thing you need to know about me is that I love Eurovision. It is the best thing since sliced bread. I have loved Eurovision before, from before I was born. So on the night of the Eurovision final in 1981, my mum went into labour. I was that desperate to experience what she was experiencing and to find out what all this block voting was about that I had to come out. So um, I'm very disappointed tonight that Iceland didn't win. I was really going for them for the win. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you that you are also an Iceland fan. So, um, and I, um, I was mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'm volunteering with the church as the new compassion coordinator. And I want to say, let that serve as a warning to you all about going for a walk with Chantelle, because you might end up with a job. Um, but in all seriousness, though, um, Jesus has really used Chantelle and Marley um, to help uncover his purposes for me and something that has been there for a long time but has just been a bit buried over recent years. I did a business studies um, degree up in Coleraine and I can clearly remember turning to my classmate in my final year and saying that I didn't want to use all that I had learnt in university um, to make the rich richer. And I recently revised my CV because I changed jobs. And as I looked through all the organisations I worked for, I can see that none of them made any money while I was working for them. So I, I stuck by that promise. Um, but I believe this desire to see a more equitable society, one in which there isn't a gap between the rich and the poor, is from the heart of God. And in Luke 4, Jesus has been in the desert for 40 days and he returns to his hometown of Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue and he reads out words from the prophet Isaiah as an announcement of what he has come to do. This is his mission. This is his manifesto. This is his purpose. So in Luke 4, 18 to 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus was declaring that God's spirit was on him and that his mission is to bring freedom, recovery and the Lord's favour. And this is good news to those who are poor. And some theologians get their knickers in a twist about whether Jesus used the word poor to mean all of us and um, because we are separated from relationship with God or those who are in material need because they are experiencing this material poverty and I would say that it's both. We in the West um, often see poverty just through the lens of economics and think of it um, mostly as a lack of money and material possessions and by that our normal perspective Jesus was poor he was homeless, he was unemployed, he didn't even have his own food when it came to do miracles, he had to get that from some kid. But something doesn't fit with that description of poverty that Jesus is talking about in Luke 4. Jesus might have had no home or stuff, but it didn't seem to hold him back from living his life. And if we look at the language in Luke 4, we can see the poverty that Jesus is on a mission to change, is the poverty that oppresses that leaves you powerless, that makes you vulnerable. 
It's a poverty that makes you its prisoner. So at its core, poverty isn't just an absence of money, but an absence of life, flourishing, thriving, abundant life. And this is the life that God intends for us all. And if we don't recognize this poverty of life as we move to help those who are in desperate material need, then we aren't going to be much help. Our actions will just be surface level and we won't bring the full freedom, recovery and favor that Jesus has. We can see um, from the amount of time that Jesus spent with those who lived in material poverty that he wanted specifically um, for them to experience his good news. There is something uniquely devastating about being in this kind of poverty. And people who experience this face a daily struggle to survive that creates feelings of helplessness, anxiety, shame, isolation, and desperation. Someone who was unable to afford the basic life essentials said this about their experience of having to use a UK food bank. It's very depressing. You feel very hopeless. You feel a failure in some ways, I suppose. And someone experiencing poverty in Uganda has said, we have feelings of powerlessness and an inability to make ourselves heard. God's heart is that he doesn't want anyone to experience this. He doesn't want anyone to be poor, to be captive to this kind of poverty. In Deuteronomy 15 verse 4, he says, There need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. God has given us what we need for everyone to have enough. But when we look around, that is not what we see. And it's perhaps more stark in other countries, but also exists where we live. You know, deprivation in Carrickfergus is below Northern Ireland levels, but pockets remain in various areas. And one area in Carrickfergus town is in the top 10% of the most deprived areas in Northern Ireland. Debt levels in Northern Ireland are, in the, ha- are the highest in the UK, with Mid and East Antrim, our council borough, having higher than average numbers, with 19.1% people live in debt. And four of our primary schools have 50% of over of their children eligible for free school meals. And that sounds like a good thing, but the Joseph Rowntree Foundation has found that 47% of kids who are eligible for free school meals will achieve um, five or more A um, star to C grades at GCSE compared to 62% who aren't eligible for free school meals. Jesus came to proclaim the good news that he has come to bring freedom to those who are imprisoned by their circumstances. He wants to bring life to where there is poverty, and he wants um, us to join him on this mission. So what could this look like in 21st century Carrickfergus? And I believe it starts with compassion. And I asked a few people what they thought of when they heard the word compassion. And they said things like, the feeling when you see someone in need, feeling concern for someone having a hard time, showing kindness to someone in difficulty, wanting to help someone in need. There's something about the word compassion that implies more than just feeling sorry for someone. There's a motivation to act on that feeling. And compassion is no good if we don't act on it. But I believe it's how we act 
that is the really important part. And that's when we need to bring our head into the team to work alongside our heart when determining how we show compassion. And I love a wee bit of what's the origin of this word, if any of you have been in a, a life group with me. So compassion comes from the Latin word compati, which means to suffer with. And I believe compassion works best when it is with. And so I've come up with four ways that we can do compassion with. So first of all, we do it with God. The start of the at the start of the passage, Jesus reads out, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And compassion looks like partnering with God through the Holy Spirit. And Paul talked a couple of weeks ago about what, what that looks like when we partner with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit sustains us, helps us, guides us, gives us the wisdom which we need when figuring out what compassionate action to take. And in John 5, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. There is so much need out there, and we could burn out very quickly trying to help everyone and do everything. So if Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, we need to ask God, what are you doing in our town? And then we join him and when he shows us that. So we do compassion with God. Compassion is also best done with others. You know, Jesus invited 12 disciples to go on mission with him, and then he recruits and sends out a further 72. Compassion is best done with a team, and that includes within the church and outside of the church. And one thing I love about our church is how good it is at partnering with other organizations and people in our town. You know, we recognize that others have gifts and skills and expertise that we don't perhaps have or that we need more of. And we partner with others so that the people we are helping get the support that they need. So compassion is best done with God and with others. Compassion is also best done with what we already have. You're probably thinking, what is this Fisher-Price looking box on the stage? So this rather terrible looking box has actually fed hundreds of people in its life. It was something that lay around my parents' house and then my mom and I started using it to transfer food from her church, from my work, to a food bank in Belfast that was run by Belfast City Vineyard. And then recently, it's been used to trans um, transport cake to um, Tommy and Diane's camper van for uh, doorstep dinners. And um, some, I think some of the cake was pretty ropey. So I hope it blessed the people that got it. But um, I'm sure... Uh, they maybe appreciated the thought. Um, but basically, um, in Exodus, Moses has given God a lot of excuses about why he can't lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And God says to Moses, what's in your hand? Moses had a stick in his hand, which God used to demonstrate his power to Pharaoh by turning it into a snake. And he used it to provide water from the, for the Israelites from a rock. God took what Moses already had and started his mission with it. God took this terrible looking box and used it to feed um, hundreds of people. God has used Caroline Ash and our church and her teacher's knowledge to bless kids in um, Carrick with needed school supplies. 
He's taken Diane Wade and her cooker to start doorstep dinners. He's taken Gina's incredible organization skills to help people get control of their finances instead of their finances controlling them. That is the freedom of God. So he can use us and what we already have to begin to fulfill his mission of freedom, recovery, and favor. And right up there in importance with, of doing compassion with God is that we do it with those we want to help. And I think any person who has worked in this field, particularly in international aid, will have tons of stories of people who did more harm than good because they didn't ask the people they were trying to help what would be helpful. They just assumed that those people had nothing valuable to contribute and they knew what was best. Their actions, whilst coming from a good heart, were for, not with, those in poverty. And Jesus encountered a man who had a visual impairment. And instead of going straight over to him and healing him, he asked the man a question. What do you want? He gave the man dignity by allowing him to to decide what he needed. And Nobel Prize winner Amartya Sen says that this says that the distinguishing feature of poverty is the lack of freedom to be able to make meaningful choices about your life. Jesus came to proclaim and bring freedom, including the dignity of choice. And that's what we want to do as we demonstrate compassion. We want to develop relationship with those um, who are experiencing poverty, and we want to support and champion them to make meaningful choices about their lives. So we join Jesus in his mission by bringing good news to those in poverty, by demonstrating compassion that is with, with God, with others, with what's already in our hands, and with those we want to help. Finally, Jesus declared that his intention was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And his synagogue leaders would have quickly understood that he was referring to the year of Jubilee, and next year is the Queen's Jubilee. I don't know what, ty- what type, I forgot to look that up. But we get an extra bank holiday. Woohoo! Yeah, brilliant. Um, cheers, Your Majesty. But um, God's Jubilee is even better than an extra bank, uh, bank holiday. The year of Jubilee was mandated by God to the Israelites before they entered into the Promised Land. And it was, a, it was to be a year of reset. Every 50 years, Debts were to be cancelled, slaves were to be set free, land was to be redistributed. Society was to be reset so that any inequality or poverty that had crept in was addressed and set right. And this passage Jesus reads out in Luke 4 comes from Isaiah 61. And it's one of my favourite passages in the Bible. And just reading it is, um, this passage is a joy, so that's what I'm going to do. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for all those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, 
and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastating or long devastated. How amazing is this good news? No wonder the, the origin of the word jubilee is to shout for joy. And reading um, what Jesus' mission is makes even this reserved former Presbyterian want to shout for joy. And one thing I want to highlight, who are the oaks of righteousness and the rebuilders and restorers? They are the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, those who grieve, those who are in despair. They will be called the oaks of righteousness. They will restore the places long devastated. What an amazing mission that Jesus is inviting us to join him in, to bring this kind of life to the Carrick-Fergus area. And historians are unsure if Israel ever had a jubilee, if they actually put it into practice, which I find really, really sad. Jesus, after he reads from Isaiah, sits down and we read in Luke 4.21 that he says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. Jesus is announcing that Jubilee living begins not in 50 years, not in the future, but right now. This not, is not a promise for the future. The mission begins today. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and it's a reminder that Jesus has anointed us with the same spirit that he, is anoint, that he was anointed with, and he is inviting us to join him on his mission to bring freedom, recovery, and to usher in jubilee living. So my question is, who's in? So what I'm going to do now is just invite the Holy Spirit, as this is Pentecost Sunday. So if you want to stand, you're welcome to join me as I stand. If you're unable to, please just remain sitting. Yeah, so come Holy Spirit. 